I myself, the producer of this podcast, is not eligible to diagnose anyone with a mental health disorder. This podcast is purely for artists discussing the mental health hurdles they struggle with on a daily basis. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Where Is My Mind, a podcast about uh, mental health and the arts. And today I am talking to another artist who um, I... I did meet through Facebook, but in, I guess, a funny way. Um, he was doing sound design in my one scene I did for this film. And I thought that was really, really funny, or ADR, if you want to call it. Um, and then, you know, we became, like, you know, as most people in the industry do, friend request. Um, and when I posted about this, um, this gentleman reached out and was like, I think this would be a good topic. And like I said, I know I keep breaking the fourth wall in these episodes. Most of the guests that come on here do pick their topic so today uh, i have rob Acasella here and he wants to talk about the pressures of making it what's going on rob how are you hey chris well thanks for having me um and yeah you know i when you when you announced that you were doing a podcast that touches on mental health struggles and the arts i i knew that i wanted to be involved in some way um i think we're none of us that work in this for any period of time are stranger to a uh, variety of of uh, I don't want to, I don't like the word conditions, uh, situations and pressures yeah. and, you know, cause it manifests differently in everybody. And, um, you know, having, uh, having been in the creative world as my profession for, I mean, quite a long time, let's just say that, um, you know, in different capacities, like I've been through different types of media. And uh, so, you know, I, I definitely have an understanding of what that does to to a person. So um, thanks for having me on. And I think this is going to be a really interesting talk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, first and foremost, I think it's interesting. Um, I've had a good balance, uh, mostly more women wanting to talk like, about these, you know, on these on this podcast, but um well, guys don't want to talk about mental no, health. Like we, no. we don't want to admit that we're, you know, stressed out or something's, you know, too much of a burden. You know, it's just by nature. Like we, we think that we need to be strong through it all. But uh, I've found that, you know, facing it down actually works a lot better than running from it. Yeah. I mean, um, so really quickly, I, you know, I um, <clears throat> started going to therapy like two years ago and, I didn't want to go like I, I my then um, girlfriend now wife she you know she she started going and I saw like kind of like how it was really helping her and she was really like the only person I would feel comfortable crying in front of no one else like not my family um n n none of my friends really um you know I only really ever like would break down and cry like on on like <laughs> drives to work because they're 40 minutes longer and I can compose myself or things of that nature. And, but it was, I say that cause it was by myself, I was by myself and, and it's kind of touches on what you said. Like most men are, are conditioned to, um, you know, whether it is from, you know, men in our lives as when we were kids or society or just in general, like men were never really um, known to be able to, really talk about this stuff or be open about it you know i'm a big sports fan um and i see a lot of um you know especially basketball if you know for those who don't know me for those who know me they're, they're not shocked at all but like uh kevin love demar Derozan, they came out and talked about how they were depressed you know and i think that's really big for athletes to do as well um especially you know male athletes right and and 
you know, it's just, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm just happy. Like I'm I, like, what I'm trying to get at is I'm very grateful that like men are willing to come on here and, and, sh- and talk about it because it's very rare that, that, that happens. So I, I appreciate you coming on here and, and, and willing to talk about, um, just talk about what, you know, what, what this specific topic, the pressures of making it, you know, you said you've been in the industry a very long time uh, or quite some time, um, different industry jobs, you know, um, what sort of pressure do you put on yourself to like, quote unquote, make it as an artist? Wow. So the, the pressure to make it is, um, massive. Uh, it's, it, it's massive because, well, for one, well, let me actually, uh, if you don't mind, I just kind of want to, I want to go back a little bit. And anytime I do any of these, uh, you know, you know podcasts or interviews, I always end up kind of telling my story really quickly. Yeah, please do. I just told mine, so yeah, please do. All good. I mean, and and I think that it's uh, it's not about talking about myself, but I, th- <laughs> I think it's uh, well, we're getting to know you. I, I, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of artists on here, like, I did an interview the other day, and this girl was like, "Well, we're talking about my project." I was like, "Yeah, well, we're doing the top, the same topic you're doing, the pressure of making it." So, I think it's you're more than welcome to share who you are, so people can get like a more a better understanding of like you know who who you are, you know. So please, like, go ahead. Awesome. Yeah. So I mean, because I think it, I think it'll lend some perspective to where I'm coming from. So I grew up in in uh, in, in a family business. My 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 parents had a printing business. So I was in the visual arts and in, you know, in the media, so to speak from, from a young age. And, um, you know, the, the work that, that we did at that company spanned, you know, all kinds of stuff. So some of it was really creative and artistic. Some of it was for major brands. And sometimes it was just little business cards for like local businesses. And I'm talking about, you know, going back, I was born in 83. So, you know, over the years, um, there's been a big change in what yeah. printing businesses even provide at this point. That's interesting. Actually, you got to see the progression. I was born in 87, but my my parents were artists, but nothing like of that, like owning a company of, of that nature. So you really got to see, I guess, the process of print business and, and everything move from that to the digital age. Yeah. And, you know, my my role at the company, once I once I was old enough to, to work there full time, which I, I really started doing while I was in school. Um, while I was in high school, I would, I would get a ride up to the office after school for my mom and spend a few hours and come home with my dad. Then on weekends, I'd be up there. And then once I got my license, I was driving up there on my own all the time. And where'd you grow up? Uh, Bergen County. Okay. Okay. Um, not too, not really right outside, uh, right outside Manhattan. Yeah. Um, so I, I, my, my particular role at the company was as uh, as a pre-press manager and basically what i did was i i saw the projects from when the artwork and the files and all that stuff was brought to us and then prepped for printing and then you know all the way to out the door i mean there were you know small family business or none i'm sure anybody out there who's been in that situation is no stranger to oh we wear many hats so i would I'd get the work. I'd sometimes go to the client, pick the work up, bring it back and, you know, help to oversee to some degree, the actual production of it. And then sometimes go back out and actually just hand deliver stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was, I was in it and I always had a love for music, um, hard rock, heavy metal, like all, you know, all, all that good stuff that you'd expect someone who was a child in the eighties would be into. <laughs> and, um, and I, uh, I, I met this girl who was my girlfriend and now she's my wife. So similar to you, these awesome. kind of stuff stems back to women, right? Always, yeah. um, <laughs> and, and she had a love for music as well. So we decided, and we had 
lots of friends who were performing in bands and doing, you know, doing all that stuff. And we decided that we were going to start a small grassroots music magazine. So for, I want to say, I want to say it was a full decade. It might've been 11 years. We ran a, a small music magazine that we, you know, we covered local bands, we covered national acts. Um, you know, I was at, you know, little dive bars doing interviews with, you know, you know, 20 year old band members who just recorded their demo. And then the next night I'd be at like the Starland ballroom or something. And I'd be on the tour bus with, you know, shine down talking with, talking with them, you know, so we were, you know, it it was cool. We, we got to kind of run the gamut of, of the music industry and talk to people on all different levels. Um, and right there, there was a pressure to succeed, right? I mean, I'm I'm coming at I'm I'm a little nobody, and I'm I'm coming at major record labels, Atlantic Records. I'm like, hey, I want to talk to Dimebag Daryl, you know, when when Damage Plan is in town. And I don't know if it was just because I was ballsy enough to do it, but we we landed that stuff. So I never actually got to speak with Dimebag Daryl, but I did get to do an interview with uh, with his singer when he was in Damage Plan, and that was actually four days before he was murdered in Ohio. I saw the band photograph them live and well, here's another. So here's another great example. I saw the band photograph them had just bought a brand new camera um, and didn't really, didn't really know the controls on it and the settings and stuff yet walked away with pretty crappy pictures in my opinion. And I said to myself, I'll, I'll shoot them again when they come back next time. Cause they just told me that they were going to be on tour again in a few months yeah. after the new album came out. Well, four days later, that was the end of it. And that was a big, big kick in the ass, man. That was, that was a moment where I was like, I'm working in the media. I have this, this family business connection that allows me to actually print a magazine. And that is giving me access to artists that I have looked up to my whole life. I mean, people that I grew up listening to and I have posters on my wall and I'm, I'm hanging out with them, you know, and I'm like, I can't waste this opportunity. And that was the moment that I decided to take, uh, to take my interest in photography a lot more seriously because I was just doing photography for the magazine, just going out, grabbing some live photos and stuff like that, you know, for, for reviews and stuff that we would write. Not really thinking I was going to make that the career. I thought that the journalism part of it was going to be the career. Yeah. And then I was like, no, nah, I can't waste this opportunity. Like this is, you know, that was, that was, uh, gut-wrenching um i mean dimebag was one of my heroes yeah i mean i remember i got a little late into uh heavy metal per se i was like 16 or 17 i listened to a lot of different stuff i'm not i used to be ashamed of like listening to all different types of stuff now i I mean, I'm a 30, I'm 34 years old. Like, I don't know, you know, <laughs> I don't really care. Like I pay bills. I can listen to whatever the fuck I want to listen to kind of thing, you know, you know, but, um, yeah, the first time I heard like, uh, like domination from them and, and, you know, obviously like their popular stuff, Cowboys from hell. But I even remember back in high school when, when, when he got shot, I think 2004, you said 2005, I was like, a, I was a junior, I was a sophomore or junior and. I remember hearing that. Like, it's, I always tell people, like, everyone's like, "Chris, where, like, where did you fit in?" I was like, "Well, some of my best friends like listened to Metallica and Pantera. Then some of my best friends were on the basketball team with me. Then some of my best friends were like in theater. You know, I'm like, I, I had my hand in different pots. I remember my friends who listened to heavy metal, like, they were devastated, and I guess I didn't understand it. And then when I listened to them, and then I went back and I heard it. Same with like Metallica. I was very young, but like hearing that Cliff Burton." 
um, if, if I'm getting his name correctly, how he died, you know, during that car, that bus accident. It's like, gee, you know, and how Metallica people say really was never the same, sort of speak. That's just, yeah, it's just tragedy, you know? So I, I couldn't imagine like where you were, like you were, you were on the highest of high. And then like four days later, not only you were like, and it's, I think it's okay, like to be like, shit, like I just had a really good contact my idol just got killed in the worst way possible. One, one, uh, you know, or, you know, an artist that you love. And then it's like, well, shit, I had this opportunity. Like now they're, they may not even ever tour again. You know, like it's just that mixture of things. Cause you said you were, you were still, you know, you're only four years older than me. So you were like in college, you said, right? Yeah. So actually, and that's actually one of the things that kind of made it sting. Well, down the road kind of made it sting was I actually didn't go to college, at least not, not when I was supposed to. I I started late as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I went right from high school into the family business. And so it was it was a I mean, I learned up against the ropes. Like I learned how to run a business by watching my father, watching the things he did right, watching the mm-hmm. things he did wrong, and deciding which elements I was going to emulate. Right. And that yeah. that also I think plays into this idea of uh, you know, of making it of, of what what's what defines success right it's about the decisions that you make yeah um but yeah regarding that whole thing man like i i I would have been in college but i i decided to kind of go my own way there and um yeah you're absolutely right i was i was devastated it took it took me months to bounce back to bounce back yeah to to get back on my feet you were with your uh wife at the time right you guys were dating how how did she take it so she uh she she was very upset too she i don't think at the time i don't want to speak for her but i don't if i remember right i don't think at the time she was the uh like a huge like super fan type right like she she knew pantera's material she listened to damage plan because i would force her to listen to damage plan in the car um that's what i do with my wife with certain things i'm like just listen and enjoy it none of that's happening yeah yeah so like you know but but you know, for her, again, being a lifelong fan of music, um, uh, you know, it, just the fact that a musician was killed doing what they're doing, what they do, making people happy, yeah. you know, expressing their art form and some lunatic rushes the stage and and, and puts a bunch of bullets. And I'm like, um, I, I, she was she was really upset, too, because you know, at the at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're a fan of their genre or even their band. Just yeah. um it's just it's just the aspect of, of like you know we are artists in general to lump us all in are you know we're people who are 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 blessed to get to do what we do for a living we get to do something that fulfills our own you know needs deep down but also brings joy to other people and you know to to lose your life doing that is is really just unspeakable yeah yeah he if i'm not mistaken didn't the kid um i don't know if it was a kid or a guy but they shot him and they he said because he they said that he broke up Pantera, right? Or something along the lines of that. His name was Nathan Gale, and I don't I honestly like because I'm still kind of mad about it. I don't really want to give him too much uh, attention. But yeah, of it, course. It, yeah. He yeah. was he was actually an, another he was another man who had some very serious mental health issues that were not addressed. He was discharged from the military because he was uh, you know, mentally unstable. Um, his mother gave him a handgun as a gift for having been in the military. And he was of the impression that uh, he had actually written a bunch of Pantera songs and they stole them from him. Oh, okay. So he, he, yeah, it was, it was 
it was a it was a really messed up situation and he had yeah. he had said things see he had said some things about other band members you know pre, well ex-band members from pantera at the time you know putting blame on them too and it was just um it, it was it was a really a needless tragedy but mm-hmm. out of that um out of that came my uh, my determination to take my photography more seriously and you know from there on out the story just kind of goes i think the way it goes for most people who discover cameras right they go from taking still photos to starting to take, to mess around with video so because i had the journalism thing going on i you know i was one of the early investors in in the five the canon 5d mark ii which was oh, the, wow. first, the first dslr to take video and yeah. we started doing uh video interviews instead of print interviews the whole the whole magazine eventually migrated to being uh digital uh, rather than rather than in print and it was it was at that time I was doing a lot more uh, sh- video shooting than photo shooting, and I was, uh, you know, doing a lot of editing. And I decided, you know, this might be really cool to pursue as 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 a career, as a new career. Now, keep in mind, at this point, we're we're years past the the economic crash of 08. I saw my father's business struggling terribly. The, I mean, like most mom and pop businesses, that you know, he was scraping by, and I knew that it was ultimately a sinking ship, or at least uh, if it stayed afloat, it wasn't going to uh, allow me to support myself, you know, long term like I needed to. Mm-hmm. So, um, started looking into career options, uh, shooting and editing video. And at the time, I know this isn't the case anymore because these things kind of these trends change, these these hiring trends, these HR trends. But um, at the time, around 20, I want to say 2012, 2013, 2014, something like that, um, a lot of corporate entities wanted you to have a formal degree in filmmaking to be considered for any of their in-house shooting opportunities. I didn't have that because I, I skipped college, right? So mm-hmm. at 30, I decided it would be a good idea. Already married, um, trying to, you know, get my life in order and working a full-time job, already starting to do some side gigs, you know, with obviously with my camera already. Um, decided, yeah, why not? Let's do four years of college. I mean, how bad could it be, right? Yeah. Wow, man, talk about a smack to your mental health. Um that was not simple. Uh, those those four years, I, I I loved them. I I enjoyed them. I appreciated everything that I got out of it. My my network grew super strong. I made some great connections with people who are still doing what they went to school for, and you know a lot of my early jobs now in my current career as a sound designer came from those connections. So I don't regret it one bit. I'm proud of myself for having done it, but that was tough, man. What made it? What made it so tough? And I don't mean to ask. Was it just like the age difference? Was it just like not knowing certain softwares? Was it? You know, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I guess I never realized it. Like, you know, the mentality of someone in their 30s versus their 20s and um, things of that nature. Like, I started school when I was 22, right? And I was very wide-eyed and I want to say I was naive. I think I just had a lot of ambition. And now, you know, 12 years later, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying I've lost any ambition. Definitely not, but it's more so, I think I'm more realistic with like what, what could happen, what's going to happen. You know, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm, I'd say I'm slightly jaded, but like, I think when you're working with someone who's a little bit younger, they think like, it's like, 
you know, I could, you know, like if you work with someone younger, they're like, let's do everything. Let's do it all. And sometimes it, it's it's not that way. So were those some of the challenges or was it just like just the workload versus like having a full time job? I'm sure like what, what was so like um, mentally harrowing about it? There were there were multiple layers to it. I mean, w- for sure, the 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 um, time investment was difficult. I mean, I started as a part time student thinking I was going to finish in about six years if I spaced it out. And I did that so that I could focus on my full-time job and my side gigs, you know, and, and my family and just so that I would have the breathing room. But it started after like a year and a half, it started to just get too much. And I'm like, I just got to rip the bandaid off. So I transitioned to full-time. And in fact, I was doing double duty. I was doing summer, winter, uh, <laughs> I was doing 17, all year round yeah 17 18 credits a semester because i just wanted to get the credits in i wanted to get and i wanted to get it done so i, I started off part-time i switched to full-time and i still managed to get done in four years which um anyone who's done four years knows that's that's a lot of time that you have in, invest in that to begin with yeah um and on top of it yeah you know the the age difference was an issue in some cases not uh throwing shade at any of my former classmates because you know it really issue wasn't really them. The issue was uh, I start off right in like the 101, 201 level courses where I'd been doing all this stuff already. Like I was self-taught and I, you know, I got like a certificate, uh, you know, a professional photography certificate from NYIP, you know, back in the day. And so I knew about lighting. I'd been do- literally out there doing the work, you know, producing mm-hmm. music videos and things like that. So a lot of the courses at first were pretty boring because it's like I was I was almost like a teacher's aide, you know, like kind of helping everything along. So that that was kind of a drag because I was like, well, I'm, I'm paying a lot of money and I'm paying out of pocket to be here and learn stuff. And I'm like, well, I this I got off YouTube years ago. You know, like I, I already understood this stuff. Yeah. Then then once I got what I was looking for, it got a little harder. Then that was a different story. Right. But um, the the issue also, yeah, being that like when you would you know, film is a collaborative endeavor. It's not like, uh, it's not like writing or painting where it's like you're learning techniques and you're doing it on your own. You're, you're writing screenplays and you're producing shorts and stuff sometimes right there during class hour, sometimes on your own time, you've got acting classes that are required to take. So you can learn how to be a, how to direct actors and all this stuff that they tell you. And it's all absolutely valid, but it is, it is incredibly difficult when you're, when you're a 30 something who knows why you're there and you decided very, you made a very conscious decision to switch careers into knowingly a very difficult uh, career path to break into. And, you know, I'm there with like sort of laser focus on my end goal. And I'm, you know, I'm with a bunch of kids who mean well, but they're, you know, they got time. If this doesn't pan out, they got a few years to, or even go back after they're done and like switch it up you know they're not already into their 30s and married and trying to like you know really like officially get their life started you know like Mm -hmm. that's what your 20s are for is to kind of like learn learn and figure this stuff out so um you know that was that was a little bit difficult because sometimes the attitudes and the dedication you know didn't really align um so that that made it challenging. And then, you know, honestly, just the 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 never being home because I'm either at work or I'm at school, you know, uh, film classes are like not your normal like hour and 15 minute, you know, school classes. They're like three and a half hours. 
Yeah, no, I remember my classes were six to ten, uh, one to five, or eight to twelve. Yeah, and, and you get like those... a ten minute break. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, you get an hour break, which is like in in that hour break for me, I was like, okay, I'm gonna get this jump start on this edit. And anyone who's ever edited, there's you know, once you like finally sit down and line everything up, it's like, okay, the next class is starting. You're like, son of a bitch, you know, you know, like. What the hell's going on? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's a very interesting perspective that you're saying. Like, you know, everyone that you're in class with is like, they still kind of have some, their 20s to figure shit out. And that's everyone's 20s, in my opinion. You know, Um, I remember when I turned 30, I was telling my mom, like, God, I don't want to be 30 at all. My mom's like, well, the 30s are where you kind of like figure shit out or like you, you, you know, you're, you you kind of you're a lot more wiser, and you may have the money to now do things, and it's nice and all that. Personally, I haven't liked my 30s just because I've had personal <laughs> issues. My 20s were like awesome, but then I have family members being like, "Oh no, dude, your 40s are are where it's at." You know, <laughs> so it's just, you know, I think, you know, going back to what you were saying though, yeah, like your 20s is where you're figuring out, and you're in these classes already knowing like what's what's going on. You know, like I learned all this shit already. Well, yeah, you know, it was the it was the I learned it already that that made it easy. Right. It made it frustrating yeah. because I'm like, well, I'm just I guess I'm just going to sit here and just put in the time, you know, and, yeah. and not basically. So, it, I mean, you know, it felt like to some degree a ripoff because this was stuff that I could do already with my eyes closed. And I was paying three thousand dollars per semester for this one class that I literally already knew everything, not to sound like a know it all, but I have already been doing this. Um, and I actually had a professor come to me and say, like, are you getting anything out of this? Like, are you like, or like, are, are you really like get deriving anything from this class? And, I, yeah. you know, the the short answer is, is I always did find something right, because there's uh, there's always the way you learn to do it. And then there's the way that someone teaches you how to do it. And sometimes those things aren't exactly the same. And um, sometimes sometimes it's a matter of wrong or right. I mean, you know if you're going to, if it comes to wrapping cables and you're, you're over overing a bunch of XLRs, like, you know, now that I know better, I, I, I'd slap you, but you know, so that you get somebody to teach you how to over under properly, and then you're not breaking your cables and having to replace them every six months. So that's, that's, that's helpful. Um, you know, so it was, there was always like a new, I had a, I had to basically like get myself to find the, the new perspective that I could take on old information. And that really made it fun. Once I, once I came to terms with that, that made it fun and I didn't feel so much like I was getting ripped off. Right. Yeah. Um, so that was, yeah, that was definitely nice. an interesting, interesting journey. Well, what, um, you know, post-college and now you're in your career and, and, and you're in your, you know, you're, like you said, you were, very well versed in cameras, you know, photography, you know, camera work, you know, I know, I know just you as a sound designer working, you know, on set audio, post-production, all that. So for you right now, I guess, like, what are some outside forces that, um, you know, puts pressure on you to be successful and you don't have to talk about right now. You could talk about, you know, cause you're coming from an interesting place. Like, you grew up with a family who already had a business. So from an outsider, myself, looking at that, I would just assume that they would be like, all right, Rob, you're taking over when we can't do it anymore. And there's really like no ifs, ands, or buts about it, right? Um, you know, 
how did your parents feel about you kind of like doing something artistically that wasn't like print, you know, the print world and you kind of like did your thing and you, you know, was there any like pushback from them? Was there any pressure to do that? Like what are some just outside forces in your lifetime that you felt like to, that just put pressure on you, whether it be like following your family's footsteps or like I'm a branch out, I'm gonna be my own person. Yeah. Um, that's actually, that, that was a, that, that exact topic that you're mentioning here uh was actually a really big point of stress for me for a very long time and here's the thing i i looking back i really think that some of the reason for that was that i wasn't clear and i wasn't addressing my feelings or even not addressing my interpretation of how things were going so essentially um both of my parents were you know were artistic themselves growing up my dad was in a band he you know he loved music and he played guitar so that's where your you know, love of music comes from i'm sure right and you know so like we had we always had that in common and um so he's i think i i really believe he's always understood you know the the drive to 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 work in art to to create to do something um to do something creative for a living you know because i mean every everybody who picks up a guitar and decides I'm going to be a musician now, you know, they're thinking in the back of their head, like maybe I'll make money off this someday. Like maybe this will be a career path. And then we know it's like 1% out of everybody who ever learns an instrument actually goes on to do anything with it. Although now the internet has sort of changed the level of exposure you can get, but still, you know, are you really monetizing your YouTube channel to be able to retire on your demo tracks? Right. But I always felt that, you know, I had to be the good son and uh, I had to, you know, show up and be there for the company. And yeah, you know, it was always established that like, well, I'm going to take over. It was supposed to be my sister and myself and my sister showed no interest in the company flat out said she didn't want to work there. And I was like, how can, how can she do that? Like how, you know, this is putting, this is putting food on our, on the table our entire lives. Um, But she decided she wanted to do her own thing. Um, so I stuck by my dad and, you know, there were certainly times when business wasn't going so well, especially, you know, through some of the economic crashes where I was like, I think I got to jump ship, but I always felt bad because my dad is an absolute master at what he does. He, uh, especially in, in the, in the realm of like specialty finishing. So if you ever see like fancy packaging that has like gold foil leaf stamped onto it or like you know the words are embossed and popped up like that's primarily Mm -hmm. what what he does is embossing die cutting foil stamping so and he's known in the area for being one of the best so you know he's great at that but he didn't understand the technology side of anything i mean even trying to talk him through sending an email over the phone is like it's like walking on glass sometimes so um I just felt bad. I was like, if I leave, I'm going to leave him and he's going to be screwed. He's not going to know what to do. He's not going to know how to handle stuff. Um, so I always had this guilt. And I, I think for a long time, I assumed that maybe it was the guilt was coming from him. Maybe I was, I was, you know, sort of misplacing that feeling of like, well, he's going to be really mad if I, if I leave and do something else. Um, 
And, you know, the, the more I, the, the older I get and, and the more I do what I do and the more I reflect on it, I really wonder if that was just a, another one of those guy things that going back to like, men don't like to talk about their feelings. Um, I wonder if that was just a self-imposed pressure to be the good son and to, you know, to be there and do what I'm supposed to do, you know, the air quotes supposed to do, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, it was talked about my whole life that I was going to take it over. So, of course, you know, you think about that from a young age and you're like, well, that's what I'm that's that's the path. Right. Um, anything else that I do has to just be done on the side. I can't possibly take away from the time I have to, you know, I'm, I'm indebted to this man for feeding me and raising me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, like I said earlier, like got to the point where the business just wasn't doing well enough. And I, I, I told him, you know, like I. So here's the thing. When, when I was doing the magazine, he was cool with me, like taking off for a day to go do some interviews or like if I had to go and like travel for a concert up, up, you know, upstate New York or something like he'd be cool with it. Um, when I'd go on vacation, if, if I would go on vacation with my wife, um, you know, I'd bring a laptop and like log in from remote and do stuff. And I said to him, you know, I, I need to eventually it just came down to like, I need to do this for me. Like I need to like this business may not always be here. This industry may not always be here. I mean, the printing industry in and of itself is a dinosaur and they're not innovating. There's nothing to innovate. I mean, you're putting ink on paper, like sooner or later with everything going digital sooner or later, like there's not going to be a need for it. I mean, for instance, we used to do some packaging for like specialty CD wraps and stuff like compact discs. Like when people used to buy music on a shiny little, circle of silver oh, yeah. um if anyone can remember back that far dust off the cobwebs um you know and i mean now you just you just it's you're listening to spotify or pandora or you're you're at most you're buying digital mp3 downloads you know from amazon or something and it's like uh, i personally still like to own physical copies of music that's just you know that's just me but yeah i know that that's getting phased out just as a culture we're losing that so you know, the need of putting ink on paper is, is, is dwindling. So I was like, listen, this industry is not doing well. It might not be here by the time I need to retire. I need to do something for me. And, you know, he was understanding about it. And we had an agreement where, you know, while I was in in school, I would, I would, you know, come in when I didn't have classes. And if I had to come in late, or if I had to leave early to go to class, that was cool. As long as I did what he needed just to sustain the place for the day, that was cool. And I was cool with that. He was cool with that. It turned into me, you know, logging in from remote when I'd have like long days where I would be on campus all day because of the way my schedule landed or something. But again, a lot of pressure there. So I had, I had, you know, back to the topic here, like I had, I had the pressure to make sure that I didn't fail him, right. That I didn't cause him to go under because I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I did that. Yeah. And I had the pressure of like, well, I'm doing this for me. This education is for me. It's for my career. It's for my own advancement. And, you know, I need to get good grades because, you know, I don't want to have to repeat any classes. And, you know, honestly, when I, back in high school, I wasn't the best student. I wasn't stupid. I just made a conscious choice to not give a shit. I just had had a I'm, bad I had a bad attitude and me too and just you know it wasn't good and i uh you know i almost I, I almost didn't graduate my senior year because i almost screwed up like i i one class i almost failed and i just passed it and um you know when i went to apply to the film program at montclair state my gpa was half of a point too low because of how 
stupid I was in, in action, stupid in action in not caring mm-hmm. about my grades in high school. Because to me at the time, I wasn't going to need college. I was going to go into a business that was already established for me. And I was like, well, fuck it. Who cares? And man, it, hindsight is a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, I had, I had that pressure too, that I was putting on myself of like, you know, not only do I need to do well because I need to get through this program, but I don't want to relapse into being that person. You know, I was, I was taking this seriously. It was, it was, I was paying for this out of pocket. I didn't want student loans because I saw what that has done to family members and friends. And I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And yeah, I, I did side jobs and I worked, I worked, you know, for, for some for some different clients and stuff when I didn't have class and um, paid my way through that way. Um, I didn't need to strip. I know that's a, that's a popular, that's a, that's a popular theory that people have to become strippers to get through college. You don't, that's a, that's all Hollywood. Don't buy it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Plus I, w- I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that at all. <laughs> I would, I, uh, I would be owing, I would be owing the customers money. Um, right. Yeah. Please stay. Here's money. Don't go. Um, that's interesting that, like I said, we, uh, not similar paths, but like I was kind of the, the same, you know, in the sense of my parents owned a restaurant when I was in high school and it's not, you know, I guess it could be a family business and whatnot, but I wanted nothing to do with that because I was just, you know, everyone kind of makes fun of me for it still to this day that like, I didn't. Like my sister, I have a I have a younger sister. She's like, You you know, you didn't want to work at our parents' bar. This I was like I was like, Emily, you want me to go to school, come work with them, then go back home and like it was okay. Like the restaurant was like up and down. Like I just I don't know. I wanted I didn't want to be a dish like they didn't really give me like my sister was a waitress. I didn't get that. I got fucking dishwashing. So that kind of was like, okay. Like I'd rather just work somewhere else and and um kind of do my own thing you know and unfortunately the restaurant didn't last too long but like it just caused a lot of strife you know so it was kind of like all right well i always look back i'm like i'm i'm you know maybe it was a little disrespectful for me not to work there and there was no pressure to work there but i was just rather just kind of do my own thing and come into there when i needed when they needed help but not make it like my full-time job you know um and right now, you know, there's nothing right now where, you know, they're doing their own. My parents, you know, are retired and, you know, working part time. So there's nothing like right now where I have to feel obligated to, you know, do anything work wise with them. But, you know, I think there is some sort of, you know, in the beginning of like pressure of like taking a job that doesn't really pay. And then it's like, well, why are you doing it for free? Why are you working for free? Like I'm shooting a film of my own this weekend, finally, since the first time since COVID and I saved money to pay everyone and people, you know, you could, some people would be like, well, why would you be doing that? Well, people work harder and and more efficient personally if they're getting paid. Like it just, it is what it is. It's, that's been how, that's how work has been since money was a thing, really. (laughs) If you want to be honest with you, like. I feel bad asking anyone if they could work for free, you know, but then why am I the one being so like, yeah, I'll I'll do it for free, you know, but that's more so acting gigs, you know, like I'll, 
I'll just do that, you know, because I, I, I believe in my talent will get me to a certain level to where I will, you know, it will be endless, endless pay at some point in my life, you know, but I think people put the pressure of it like, you know, oh, you're spending a lot of time, a lot of hours doing this. Like, I don't get it. You know, like, I think that all of that adds up in my opinion. So I, I actually I got a little pushback um, on that. But back when I was doing uh, photography, when I was doing my music magazine and I was going out and I was shooting all these concerts. And, you know, for me, it was just I, I just love doing it, you know, like front and center beyond the barricade for, you know, for bands just, you know, up there shooting and um you know, I'd had actually my parents didn't really didn't uh, question it so much. But one one night, my my grandmother was like, well, how much do you make doing that? And I was like, well, I don't make anything doing that. I just I just do it because I'm going to publish them myself. And she's like, well, you're you know, you're driving down the parkway down, you know, and you're you're, you're paying tolls and you're you're paying for parking and you're you don't the magazine is free you're not charging for that it's just a freebie that they put out at music stores and stuff so like where do you make money on this and i was like why don't she's like well isn't that stupid and you know you know grandmothers can be pretty blunt and i was like oh yes yeah yes and i was like huh i was like you know i got really pissed off and i was like well how dare she you know but looking at it now um i'm like yeah you know uh, i think the the problem the problem with that model, the reason I wasn't getting paid was because um, I was self-publishing, right? So if I was shooting and I was selling those images to another publisher, I'd yeah. make money on the assignment or per image or whatever. Um, but it was for me. And my my business at the time was really more of a hobby. It was insolvent. I sold some ads and, you know, I got a couple of bands to buy ads and stuff in there and it, it paid for gas money to go and self-distribute. Cause I mean, I was printing up, you know, a thousand, 2000 copies of this thing, bundling up and, and bundling them up in hundreds and then driving them to all the stores that were agreeing to put them on display next to the Aquarian weekly and, you know, East coast rocker and all, all those. So um, it was really, a, it was really a giant money pit. And so there was, you know, there was definitely, uh, once I came to that realization of like, wow, yeah, this is, this is, it's just a hobby. Like I was calling it a business and really it was, it was just an expensive hobby, which is what I think a lot of musicians talk, say about their, their own endeavors. Um, that was, that was, that was hard, but that was a valuable lesson because yeah, when, when I got out of film school, then I had already determined like, nope, I have, I have a value. I came out of an education where for the first half of it, I could have taught the classes rather than attended the classes. So that was validation in my worth and, you know, what, what I am capable of. And, you know, so I, I made, I made a determination that I would, I wouldn't take on freebies with a few exceptions, you know? Um, And again, that's a lot of self-inflicted pressure, but also, I mean, I'm 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 at this point I'm in my mid thirties and I've got bills to pay and I've I've got my own shit to worry about you know, um, so that's uh yeah, that was a that was a very real, uh situation of my eyes opening to uh don't waste your time but you know to to the end of you know shooting your film and you know and doing acting for free and stuff, I think that it's uh, 
it's something like, you know, I mean, I had to do it too. I had to ask people to work for free. I had, I had to do student projects that I didn't, I, the school doesn't give you a budget to make anything. You're lucky if the gear that you borrow from them even works. Right. So yeah, I'm out there renting stuff, buying my own stuff. And I'm asking, you know, actors, people, people who have done stuff already, you know, I had a, one, one actor that I worked with a bunch had been in, in quite a few productions. Another one has had gone on to do some commercials and stuff. And now he's doing, doing some other things. Um, and you got to ask, you know, you got to ask people like, Hey, can you come out and spend like a long weekend? Like with a, with a bunch of boneheads who are figuring this out. Like, we don't know what we're doing. We're figuring it out. And yeah. you know, hopefully it's going to go somewhere, but it's most likely going to just live on Vimeo for the rest of its days. Once it's done, it's not, it's not getting on ABC. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I get that. Like I, I definitely relate to, uh, I, I don't like asking people to work for free either. Um, yeah. I mean, if I, if I, in a perfect world, personally, if I could, I would have, a sound guy, a DP, and a gaffer. Um, and then, like, I would have a few other people on set, but I could just, like, write stuff that I truly believe in. I'll direct it, and it's, like, could be a cast, and I would just make stuff, like, every weekend for, like, next to nothing, right? But it's just right now, unfortunately, you know, that that's not the case like i would love to find someone who's kind of just eager to just like film content to just put it out there you know um but it, it's you know right now it's it, it's just i guess it's that's just the unfortunate side of like my situation you know i would just like to keep making content instead of like dropping on my end you know 1500 to 2 grand for a short that like you said is going to just live on the internet. You know, I, I'm, I'm taking that, that, that L I wouldn't even say it. It's an L I would, I'm just taking that like hit on financially. And maybe if I put it in festivals and it, it, it gains traction and something like that, that'd be great. But you know, at some point I would like to just find like-minded people who just kind of want to keep making content um, and just to put it out. And then like, hopefully something sticks, if that makes sense, you know? And that's that's the perfect segue, whether or not you actually intended to do that. But I think that um, that that right there, uh, you know, taking the L, right? Um, what? Why? Do, like, why do you say that, right? So, like, you're. I'm. I'm just gonna guess, and you feel free to correct me. You're saying yeah. that because you're doing this thing. It's 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 born of of your passion, right? And you just want to see it come to life, and you consider it an L because it's just going to live on the internet. It's not, yeah. it's not, you know, it's, it's maybe it's going to end up in some festivals. Maybe it's not, maybe you'll get an award. Maybe you won't. But then once, once you're done dumping money into festival submission fees, you know, you're probably not going to ever actually get that pitch meeting with HBO that you originally had in mind for the concept when you first came yeah. up. Yeah, And there's sometimes I'm not like, I'm not making something to like, Oh, like, to oh i wish hbo would do this like sometimes i just want to make stuff with like my friends i love who are really talented you know and do, do I, I and i should pay so there's always a double-sided coin with that like I, I feel like that way but then other times it's like well i don't want to like should i just like focus on one project and like make that like my hbo pitch and then that or like you know i'm not saying sometimes my goals i'm not wondering what i'm doing but it's like you know, I didn't mean to cut you off, but yeah, I'm just like, I don't know. I don't, I don't like, I, I you know, sometimes I just, I really just want to make some shit like 
you know, I want to work on my craft. Like, yeah, I think going to acting classes will obviously help me, but that costs money. But you know what doesn't cost money sometimes or just as much as money as acting classes is having a five to six person crew, a two to three character story, two locations over a weekend like that. To me, I could do that every weekend. Same like me and the same actor or actress and the same crew and different and someone has a story idea and just doing that and just having that you saw it with like the whitest kids you know you saw it with Derek comedy you saw it with like you know with certain other like skits on Instagram and stuff you see that a lot right or you or you even see it from like a production standpoint where it's like one director same crew same actors don't know if they're paying or not I don't really ask people because um, money is always a little. It's always a weird topic when you're in the independence or, or any any side. But, yeah, you know, I just, you know, there's times where I just feel like, man, I really feel like acting today. Like, I just, I, I feel it right now. Like, I feel like I could, I could do service to something. But it's always, right now, in my opinion, it's always like, do I have the money to do it? And, like, is it going to be worth it, you know? But, see, that's actually, so when you told me that we were going to be talking about, or rather, when I picked the topic, right, because we already broke that fourth wall. Um, yeah, yeah. When I picked the topic about the pressures of success in, in creativity, uh, in the in the creative uh, field, um, one of the things that really helped me, like, so through all those struggles that I mentioned, all those different pressures, family pressures, business pressures, being a grown-ass man who needs to do a career change in his 30, that shit's tough, man. But all of those pressures, self-induced or otherwise, um, one thing that I've always come back to, I would say that if you spent two grand in a weekend to make a, to, to bring to life a story that you wrote, that you had a vision for, whether or not you get that on TV, whether or not that gets you, uh, you know, an extra person in your network or it gets you some contact somewhere that's going to you know, eventually lead to the big thing. Fuck that. It doesn't matter. Here's what matters. Do you feel and this is I'm asking you, but this, I'm also asking the listeners. I'm, and this is this is this is where my perspective is, is coming in now. Um, do you feel like that? project was a success not did it go on to make a ton of money not did it get you a bunch of fame not do you get a bunch of laurels to put on you know a poster on instagram but mm-hmm. did you accurately and successfully uh pull off the project that started as nothing more than just a daydream just a creative string of thoughts that had no physical form whatsoever it was just an idea one day you're just like ah Mm-hmm. Movie theater going out of business. Hat tip to uh, Maz Buziti. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, um, dude put together a great clerks style f- film for his school. This is the the project that we mentioned earlier that you were yes. acting in and I was doing post production on. And um, you know, it felt like clerks, but it f- didn't. It felt it, it's called concessions for anyone who wants mm-hmm. to look it up. Uh, it felt like clerks but it wasn't a rip off of a rip off of clerks. He yeah. one day had this idea. This kid works or uh, worked uh, in a movie theater and decided, man, you know, what if we had one of those, I'm not even supposed to be here kind of, kind of days. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and let's, you know what? And I, I can't begin to imagine what his thought process was as he went through it, but it literally started with like, well, what do I know? Therefore, what can I write about? Exactly, and it, and it went from there. 
And, you know, little by little, it turned into this really awesome film. It was one of my favorites from from last year that I worked on. And I've worked on a bunch of stuff from low level indie, uh, you know, student films up to doing some stuff that was on TV. And it was honestly, honestly, story wise, creativity wise, it was one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just so happens to be the way that you and I met. And now we're here doing this. So if it weren't mm-hmm. for that, then this wouldn't happen. Exactly. Um, but that that idea, whether or not that goes where he intended it to go, um, was a success, right? Mm-hmm. It's a small success, but it's a success. And success is hard to come by. The, I think the problem is that we're we're living in, we've all, if you're alive while this is being recorded and, and eventually released, we are all living in a very materialistic present time, right? Um and and it's kind of always been that way, but it all seems in my nearly 40 years on this planet, it only seems to be getting worse. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that the thing that people lose, the, 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 the insight that people lose along the way is that success is internal. Success yes. is personal. It's subjective. It's you have you have to stop one day and say, what does success mean to me? And I know this sound I sound like a therapist now, but. You really do. You have to take a step back and you have to say, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, what what am I fighting for? Like, why am I doing this? Am I doing this because I think I'm going to get to some some imaginary level of my career? Like, or am I just am I just happy knowing that I want to be a creator? I'm have put in the time to hone my skills as a creator and I've Mm -hmm. now created something. You know, and then everything after that is just a cherry on top, right? All of that is just gravy, right? Um, if you if you successfully pull off a project with no money, <laughs> um, that's a win. That's not an L. That's yeah, a, that's 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 a W, man. No, it's a good point for sure, man. Like it's um, it's it's kind of weird because like I I moved back home in 2014, and I've done like four projects of my own. You know, some I've just directed and written, others I've directed, written and acted in. Um, all of them have won awards in the United States, like throughout the, like on the West Coast, some mainly in Jersey here and there. Um, and I've mentioned this topic right now. I'm, I'm about to say a, a lot through the episode. I do apologize a lot through the entirety of the podcast. I apologize about talking about it, but it's kind of goes into like this topic a little bit. I, um, I, I don't like, you know, I, before COVID hit, I was very much like, I'm a failure because I haven't worked with a celebrity. I haven't made a film to make it to like Sundance, Cannes, uh, Toronto International Film Festival. You know, I haven't worked with, um, you know, a a DP who can shoot on the red. Uh, You know, there was all these fucking things in my mind that I was just beating myself down upon that I saw on social media or I saw being on other set and all that, you know, COVID hit, I had really, really terrible health issues. Um, and then, uh, in 2021, my stepdad had like a massive stroke. Um, and, uh, you know, it's been really tough. It's probably going to be tough for a very long time. And, um, all my pressures have kind of like gone away of, of my of what i want to do with film i don't know if that's a good or bad thing i i look as it i look at it as um you know my wife and i have a baby girl on the way my stepdad is going through uh, hell 
Uh, my family's kind of going through hell. Um, so I think like all my focus is trying to like, like live and like try to enjoy like my moments with him and, um, my moments with my mom and, and, and my moments with, with, with my wife and, and all that. And, um, I guess the, the, the pressure of, um, worrying if I'm going to make it or not, isn't really at the forefront of my mind. And I'm not saying it's not that I don't give a shit about it. Um, I just think there's more important things to worry about and maybe it kind of goes into, I don't know if it would go into or not what you said about the materialistic side of life right now, where if the hardest thing in my life was like, am I going to be the next, uh, big thing as a filmmaker? Um, I mean, if that's the only thing that was in my mind, then like at that time, yeah, my life was pretty fucking easy if I'm going to be quite like blunt right now. But when you have something traumatic happen um, and life altering happen at the like, so good and bad, you know, my stepdad had a stroke two months later. I found out I was, I was going to be a dad. So like the waves of emotion were just at an all time, all time high. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. Like right now, I, I don't even and I say all that not not to ramble, but I say all that because it's like. You know you what you said like kind of just triggered something to me like man like i woke up an idea in my head i moved back from jersey four films of mine have won in awards and i'm not bragging but it's like to me i I didn't appreciate any of that <laughs> like i didn't appreciate any of that in the moment and that really fucking sucks because like i should have but now i look back haven't filmed in two years um because of covid health a lot of stuff and I'm like kind of grasping at those moments to be like, I, I want to relive them because I just didn't enjoy it. You know, that, the quote from the office, it's a silly quote, but Andy says like, I wish you knew you were in the good times, like when they were happening. And that's, I feel that very much about like my career, you know, and my wife, you know, when she was, you know, dating me and all the time, she's like, you got to appreciate like the shit that you're going through right now. And it's like, man, like you don't, you, you don't appreciate it. And I don't mean to get like super real for a second or anything, but like, you know, it just, I think the term successful artist is so subjective because like, you know, you waking up, you have an idea in your head four or five to six months later, it's in post-production. Like that's a win right there. Absolutely. I mean, so, and, yeah. and there's, there's big, there's a big picture aspect of it too. Right. So like, it's uh it's absolutely valid. I feel it's absolutely valid what we've just said. Um, but to someone who, uh, to a different person, whether it's one of us or someone listening, um, maybe maybe their idea of success is financial success, and they just happen to be really driven to uh, money. Yeah, yeah. To, well, no, uh, to, they're driven or, to cre- they're driven to create. They're driven to work in the arts, whatever their yeah. chosen art is. For us, it's film, right? That's kind of like where we come from, but. Um, you know, it could be anything. They could be making beaded bracelets. I don't know. I pick an art, right? Um, so whatever it is that they do that they're driven to do, and they want that to be their career, but they're worried about money, right? Now that 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 shifts things a little bit. Um, I think again, you have to break it down. You have to you have to kind of figure out what does success mean to you. If again, to some people, like so, how do I say this delicately? Um, everybody has different financial needs, right? Because yeah. the things they want in life all come with different price tags. Some people, some people want the $750,000 house in the woods, you know, 
on like two acres of land because yeah. they, they want to farm and they want to be self-sufficient. And some people just want, they just want that $6,000 a month rental in Manhattan because they want to be where the stuff is. They want to, they want to walk down their stairs and be in the heart of it all. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, two completely different lifestyles, both equally expensive, right. In their own unique ways. So where does each individual person define success when it comes to money? I think that um, if you are making enough to cover your overhead and still put a little bit aside, you're fine. You're mm-hmm. successful. You're yeah. not, you're not, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I guess you wouldn't, you wouldn't consider yourself rich necessarily. I mean, not by, not by, you know, modern standards, right? I'm sorry, talking like, you know, you're, you're, you might not have millions in the bank, but if you're, if you're feeding yourself, clothing yourself, you have a roof over your head, as long as those things are, you know, uh, at, at a good degree of upkeep, right? Like you're, you're not, um, you have clothes on your back. They don't, they're not riddled with holes. You're eating, you're eating food, but you're, you're feeding yourself properly, you know, getting good nutrition. Um, the roof over your head isn't leaking rainwater every time, every time it rains, you're fine. You're successful. That to me, in my opinion, that would, that would be the definition of success where people get hung up is that they're constantly comparing themselves to others. Now, it's yeah. one thing, it's one thing to have goals, long-term goals, all that, right? Like you might be fine with your, with your, your, your small little studio rental for now. And then you want the single family home down the road. That is not an indication of not being successful, not yet having reached a goal is not an indication of being a failure. What you do about it indicates whether you're successful or not. So there's a, there's a great writer who is no longer with us. Uh, My wife discovered him years ago. Uh, His name is Chuck Bowden or Charles Bowden. He wrote, uh, he was a journalist. He wrote for Mother Jones and a few other publications. He also has a bunch, has a bunch of books out of his own writing. And he really liked to focus on, he he was from like the, I hope I don't get this wrong, uh, either like the Arizona or New Mexico area. Um, He was, uh, he loved to talk about the Sonoran Desert. So maybe even California. I I forget where exactly he lived, but out, out West, right? Um, and he had a he had a, a great quote one time where someone asked him, you know, when where do you find time to write these books? Like, you know, you're doing your 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 job as a journalist, writing these articles and getting paid and doing the research and going. He was like an investigative journalist, I believe, to some extent. He would go out on the front lines in Mexico, uh, down in Juarez, and like come back and write about the the war zone that it is, mm-hmm. right? But then he'd come back and he'd write, you know, books on his own that he would have to write and then, you know, publish and then make money on. And they said, well, well, how do you, how do you know that, you know, you have enough money to stop working, doing your journalism to do this? And, and he said, if I have coffee in my cup, I have enough money. And that always stuck with me that, that to me, that was that, that hit a, a profound spot in my soul because um, not just because I'm a, I'm a, I'm an absolute caffeine addict, but, <laughs> um, but because like for him, that was, that was the measure of whether or not he was doing well enough to stop working for months at a time to write a book, to have it published for yeah. him. 
that was the bare necessity he needed to feel that he was doing okay in life and um you know sort of threw away the materialist uh you know mindset that we're all entrenched in right now and just said you know what i i have a place to live as long as i have coffee i'm good and i was like i i want to be like that i wish that i could be like that i wish i could be like you know um that's all i need right but <laughs> um but i thought that was a really valid point and i think that a lot of people would save themselves a lot of self-hatred if they would adopt even a a, a minor version of that you know and to just to tell themselves that like i don't need to be making six figures i just need to have my basic needs met and have enough money to put aside for a rainy day or to invest in the things that i want to invest in down the road whether that's more gear for your art or a bigger place to live or to start a family you know and again you know you have a, you have a daughter on the way your your picture of your financial needs are different from someone who's just starting out or different from someone who is mm -hmm. older and never had kids and that was never that was never a thing i mean it's no it's not a hidden fact of life that having children costs money i mean yeah. medical bills school clothing and they grow out of their clothing like every week right so yeah there's you know i'm sure i'm sure you know other people with, with kids will tell you that um so you know for you personally like you're gonna have to look at that and be like well maybe my benchmark for success is going to change every week, you know? And as long as you're doing the things and you're putting in the effort and you're getting yourself across that line to get to what you need, then I think, I think that's success. That's success. Yeah. We, we, we get, we get really soaked up in this social media stuff and we're like, Oh man, that dude, you know, I, I'm friends with him on Facebook and man, he's doing all this cool shit. He's all we don't know how much of it's true and false and all that yeah so how much of it is how much of it is true but also how much of it is as glamorous as it looks right as it look, yeah i mean social media is is a best of right it's a highlight yeah. reel no one's gonna not many people are gonna talk about the moments that things are absolute shit and you'll have everybody's like oh man i'm feeling down today people who are like you know looking for pity parties or you know, maybe they're just being genuine. They're just being honest with people. But for the most part, if you have a, if you're an artist and you show up at a job and you totally botch it, you're not going on Facebook or on Instagram or TikTok or any of that and talking about how you totally boned an opportunity to, yeah. you know, to knock it out of the park because shit, man. I mean, I don't know about you, but I get most of my work from social media. So like I'm not gonna go on there and talk about the time that my time code thing didn't work or yeah, exactly you know, the batteries died and I didn't realize it or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, I'm, not, I'm not gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go on there. I'm gonna be like, look at how awesome I am. Look at all the stuff I'm doing. I worked yeah. with a DP who um, had a really you know impressive portfolio of of branded material that he did for you know for some pretty big companies, um, but the dude had messed up his back terribly. Uh, you know, years, years prior in, in a different line of work. And um, I'm just, I'm, I'm being, I'm trying not to be too specific because I don't want to yeah. call anybody out, but, you know, fantastic DP. I loved working with him, but at some point it, it got to where like he tweaked his back one too many times and, you know, he had a hard time even getting up and walking around. And, okay. but, you know, in the meantime, you know, he was dealing with back pain. We'd, we'd stop and have breaks on set and he'd be like taking like, some natural pain remedy herbal stuff or whatever he would do and um 
you know, but on Instagram in a photo of him walking around with doing what he's doing, you wouldn't know the dude's in pain the whole time, right? You'd be like, wow, what a yeah. cool job. And it's like, not yeah. miserable right now. Yeah, no, like, he's, he's hurting like a motherfucker. Yeah. You can't yeah. wait to put that thing down and not have yeah. to work for the rest of the day, you know? So yeah. it's like it's it's a it's a tricky thing, man. You know, I mean I see I see people so I I it, if if we weren't clear about it earlier, I had transitioned from I had gone to school because I wanted to be a better shooter and editor, and I I caught the audio bug while I was there, and I transitioned into sound. So I do mm-hmm. uh, production sound and I do post production sound. And thanks to COVID, most of my production sound gigs dried up. So I've been primarily post production for the last yeah. couple of years. You know, sound design, dialogue editing, mixing. Um, but I I caught that bug and I was working on that. But you know I. Uh, I, I know firsthand that, you know, you're only as good as your last gig. And I know I'm, I'm friends with people on there, you know, again, casually friends with, I'm not, we're not getting together who've worked on some pretty big projects. I mean, yeah. stuff that I might get a cease and desist for naming, um, yeah. you know, and they're, they're, they're the nicest people, but they were out of work for a while too. They were hurting, you know, how it like, always is. Yeah, it's like you can you can work on you can work on the biggest thing. Once that once that paycheck runs out, once that money is spent, if you're not booked again by the same people, it don't mean anything. Mm-hmm. It goes on your IMDb, it goes on your reel, people know you for it, and then you have the added fun of people wondering, well that person worked on that massive massive show. Like why do they seem so sad and why aren't they why don't I see their name more often? you know yeah um some of it is it's a matter of who you know i strongly feel it's about who knows you um, yes you know it's it's, it's all you, networking I, I know i feel like oh. it's more and more networking than anything else honestly. absolutely absolutely um honestly it's about who you can impress and then they give you the opportunity and it's and then once you get that opportunity if you sink or swim then that's up to you but i really do think it's about who you know but even, you know, like, even if you swim, you know, having to, again, like I said about, about your own situation, having to regularly, like with frequency, adjust your benchmark of success, because, yeah. you know, you could be coming off of a show for a major network, or even even just a major streaming platform or something, making a boatload of money. Everybody knows, at least in, in the proper circles, everybody knows your name, they know you're yeah. responsible for this amazing art. And then for some reason or another, you don't get hired again for, for anything major for like another six to nine months. And people who know you, including yourself, are like, well, wait, what happened? Like, exactly. I was riding high. Did I just did I just fail? Did yeah. I completely you know fall off the face of the earth? And uh, no, you know, it's, it's again, it's about setting healthy expectations for yourself and, and managing those expectations because they are going to change. It's going to be an ebb and Mm-hmm. man this was um i love talking to you um I, I i loved just your you know your outlook and positivity and you're right it's it's a very ebb and flow if if, if certain artists didn't know that now you know they, they they will they'll learn it for sure um actually i want to i got to stop you for one second because it's it's really funny i i'm always shocked whenever someone says that i that i have like a level of positivity because i am the most cynical son of a bitch you're going to meet well no so am i but i feel like my cynical my cynicism kind of just is up and <laughs> up front and all that you know i try really hard to 
to, you know, think about like, oh, you know, well, it could be worse, you know, um, I'm trying really hard, like I mentioned, you know, a while back, like I'm trying hard to like appreciate and live like think like you know try to enjoy when i'm on set now instead of being like okay this is made and i cut it together and it didn't get into a festival well then it must suck like i'm just trying to appreciate every little step along the way right because you just i don't know like i i I don't i don't want to keep bringing up i feel like i bring it up every episode but kind of just seeing like what was taken away from my stepdad like like that you know that that I think has put a lot of perspective into like, you know, just not trying to take a lot of shit for granted. So, but I, I appreciate you, you, you coming on here, spending your night with me, you know, and, and talking and all that. And I hope we get to work together one day in the future, or at least meet for a cup of coffee, a beer or food or whatever. Um, and, and just shoot the shit. Um, and yeah, man, I, I appreciate you again. Um, and uh, guys, you know, this is another episode of uh, Where Is My Mind, a podcast about ranting ra- about um, mental health in the arts. Um, and once again, it's Rob Acasella. Um, and thank you again for coming on, man. I appreciate you. Absolutely, man. It was my pleasure. Anytime. Thank you guys for listening. Once again, this is Where Is My Mind, a podcast about mental health and the arts. I'm host and producer of the podcast, Christopher Arangio. All episodes will be available on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, and Amazon Music. Once again, this is Chris Arangio, and thank you for supporting.